Alright, so as you heard, I'm Bruce. Uh, most of you know me, some of you don't. If you don't know me, um, I work for City Lights. I am on the creative team with Penny. The two of us create stuff. She creates the cool stuff that goes on walls. I create the stuff that goes on there. She creates some of that stuff as well. Um, and some music as well. Um, I moved to Dubai with my wife about two years ago, almost two years ago. This is my beautiful wife sitting in the front here. Um, we got married. <laughs> That's right. I paused for a clap, and you guys didn't even clap. Anyways, we got married in, um, in America in October 2013. Is it 2013? Just checking. She gave me a look. I was like, what? That's, that is right. Anyways, um, and then two months later, we were here. Actually, one month, I think. One month later, we were in Dubai, starting our life together. Um, on this crazy adventure. We really felt God was calling us here, and so we came here. Um, yeah, I've known Dan and Starla for probably, I don't know, 12 years. I was at the church that Dan and Starla attended um, back in Johannesburg. Uh, Starla's dad, Ashley, leads that church. Amazing church, and I, I have the privilege of knowing them for a really long time. Um, and for those of you who know Dan and Starla, you know they have an impact on your life. They're those kinds of people. If you know them, they've impacted your life. That's just how it is. Uh, so it's a huge privilege to be sharing tonight. Um, as Dan and Starla aren't here, I know that there's definitely something that God wants to say tonight. So let's get into it. Wow. Alrighty. Can you turn with me? I don't have an actual Bible, but all my scriptures are printed out of here. Can you turn with me to Matthew 16, verse 24? I think it's going to pop up over there. There we go. I'll read it from the screen. <clears throat> then Jesus told his disciples, if, any, if anyone would, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love Jesus whenever he speaks to his disciples, whenever he speaks to and people, when, when people ask him questions, he always gives them a little bit of a mysterious answer. Or, or he says things in a mysterious way. He doesn't say things straightforward. He, he says things in a provocative way that gets you thinking. Um, and something like this, it's, it's speaking a lot about finding and losing. And I just love the phrasing that he uses over here. He's speaking about the cost of following him in that first section. And he's also speaking about the reward in eternity. He's speaking about denying yourself to follow him and finding yourself, you know, it says if, if he would save himself, uh, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, finding an eternal life. But I think that losing um, aspect of, of the scripture can actually be taken further. I think it can be taken into our lives, can actually be used in our lives, this thing of losing. Um, the title of my message is, are you a loser? Or am I a loser? I can't remember what I said. Oh, are you a loser? Um, and it's it's interesting because the world's view of what a loser is, is very different to what I think we can take from the scripture. The dictionary defines a loser as a person or a thing that loses, a misfit, someone who has never or seldom been successful at a job or personal relationship. <laughs> it's interesting that they put that in. Uh, that's kind of mean. A person that seems destined to be taken advantage of, fail, etc., we all know this. We've all been in this position. We've all lost something in our lives. If it's a race at school, if it's a, a, a test we were hoping to get good grades on and we didn't, um, even if it's a loved one, or you know, we, we know this feeling of losing. We know it's not a, it's not a good feeling. 
The feeling of being called a loser is even worse. No one wants to be called a loser. But what does Jesus say about it? Hmm. Well, he says that if we consider ourselves losers for his sake, we'll find ourselves. Cool. So I got some inspirational pics from Facebook, well, from the internet. Um, We've seen these before. We've been paging through Facebook, and someone's posted some video or some picture that's supposed to inspire us, and sometimes they do. Sometimes a little tear will develop in the corner of your eye, and then that's kind of it. Um, this one, the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday. The world is all about rah, rah, rah. You can do it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. If you just push hard enough, you will be able to achieve everything, and, and these things are good. These things are true. Let's go to the next one. Success doesn't come to you, you go to it. I mean, this is straight off like a 1992 corporate wall somewhere. It's, yeah, success is a state of mind. If you want success, start thinking of yourself as a success. Uh, Is there more? Work hard, dream big. I think, yeah, and this is the last one. Pain is weakness leaving the body. This is a very popular one. I've probably seen this once a week for the last few months. People are really into this thing. And I think it's probably got to do with gym or something. I wouldn't know. So these things are really important to some people. Some people need to hear this. Some people need to hear that they can do it. Someone, sometimes they feel they can't do it. But unfortunately, these kinds of messages miss a very important point. And the point is, life isn't only about you. It's, it goes further than that. So I think these things are, are kind of an introspective way of, of, of living life to the fullest. It's kind of looking at yourself and, and looking into yourself for everything you need to try and accomplish success or earn more money or whatever the case is. So I made a few of my own more accurate uh, posters. Let's have a look. Let someone else take the credit. Make lots of money and give it all away. (laughs) Aim to come last. This one, there's a scripture that Jesus says, um, the first will be last. And life is not about you. chose a really cool kind of introspective shot of a girl holding a thing. Life is not about you. A little bit of history about the family that I grew up in. Um, my parents have, I don't know, they're just incredible parents. They've, they've been such an incredible model of what, what it means to live a life that isn't about yourself. We never really had lots of money but somehow my parents were always able to be generous. They always found a way to be generous to people. They always found a way to help people, whether it's, it's, it's just cooking a meal for someone, um, whether it's being there when someone is hurting. They, they led a church. Well, they've actually led two churches, and they've been pastors at a third church. And that church community has just been part of our family from day one. As long as I can remember, I've been involved in church community in some way. And to experience people caring for us, when we didn't have money to buy groceries, there would be a knock on the door. And we'd open the door, and there'd be some shopping bags there. You know, uh, There were times where we were, we were really struggling. And if it wasn't for the church community, if it wasn't for people putting us ahead of themselves, we probably wouldn't have had many meals. We would have been a little bit skinnier than what we are. Um, about five years ago, this is quite a funny story. Well, it's a very, very horrible story, but you'll see why it's funny. About five years ago, I was fast asleep. I was at my parents' place, and my brother comes running in, bashes through the door. It's like, I don't know, 12 at night. 
comes running into the room and he's like, dude, wake up, wake up. He like shakes me awake. I'm like, oh, what's going on? He's like, there's a, there's a building burning down. There's a house burning down. And I was like, what? So I jump out of bed, run downstairs, me, my brother, and a friend of mine, Lebo, a bunch of you know him. He, um, so all three of us run out of the house, middle of the night, and there it is. One of the units in my parents' complex, a double-story house, is like burning, but like burning. The flames are like double the height of the building. It's insane. Um, and we're just like, what is going on? People like come running out their houses. Basically what happened, someone's gas bottle had either exploded or was caught fire somehow. They'd left their heater on or, or something had happened. The gas caught fire and set fire to the whole bottom floor of their house. They were upstairs in their rooms and realized, okay, we're basically cooking alive. The father uh, freaks out, tries to run downstairs to get out the door. Flames, he can't do it. So he jumps off the balcony, breaks his ankle, hobbling around screaming, help, help, help. People come running out their houses. Eventually some hero just comes running in. He's like, what's going on, what's going on? He's like, my family's in there. This dude just smashes through the window, the bottom floor window, pushes past the flames and saves the whole family. Amazing. Anyways, so this is just chaos. Everyone is just freaking out. What's going on? Um, you know, and eventually we realize people are safe. Everything seems to be okay. We're just standing there watching this fire. Um, and slowly I start to notice there's some eyes looking my way. And these people are kind of giving me these shifty looks. I'm like, what are they looking at? I realize what's happened is in my haste to run out of the house, I have not put pants on. I left the house wearing very, very small, um, I guess little boxer shorts with a vest. I ran out and we watched this fire. Turns out I don't have any pants on. Went back into the house, put some pants on, came back out. Things, things got pretty chilled from there. Uh, but the next day, obviously now this family doesn't have, you'll see the point of the story now, the next day this family doesn't have a place to stay. Their house has been done. It's pretty crazy. And they're tra traumatized, obviously, as you can imagine. My mom, being the amazing person she is, takes it upon herself to do everything that she can to make sure that this family has a place to stay. She manages, I don't know if she spoke to someone or, or how it happened, but there was someone who owned a unit in that complex that wasn't being rented. And uh, they organized for this family to move in there. My mom knocked from door to door and, and gathered dishes, she gathered towels, she gathered cutlery, she got food organized for people, got meals cooked. She even came into our house and was like, you have two duvet sets, I'm taking one of those. And like, just like stripped our house of all the excess stuff and, and set this family up. And this family was like blown away. They said they've never experienced kindness like that in their lives. They were, they were just totally blown away by the kindness of my mom. And that's the kind of family that I've grown up in. I've been very close to to what it means to live servant-heartedly, if you want to call that. I don't know if that's a word. but um, And so as I started experiencing the world, I was like, man, the world is just not like this. It really isn't. You know, I think what needs to happen is we need to start living less about ourselves. I mean, I think we know this already. We need to start living more like, um, more like that guy who jumps through the window, more like my mom. We need to start thinking, man, how can I actually help these people? But how do we do this? How do we do this thing? I think there's three main parts to living a life that isn't focused on ourselves. Is it up there? Identity, humility, and purpose. Identity. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 5. In love, I better read it up there in case it's a difference. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ 
according to the purpose of his will. So we are adopted into God's family. The reason I say identity is an important aspect of living a life that's not focused on ourselves is when you know who you are, your security, when you know who, who has adopted you, in love he predestined us for adoptions as sons. We are sons and daughters of the creator. When our identity is solidified, um, so much of who we are is found in him that we don't actually need to be looking all over the show for that kind of stuff. It, it already brings a state of peace in our lives, just having identity. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So not only are we adopted as sons, not only do we have a heavenly father, we are actually joined to Jesus through, through salvation. And then in verse 19, it says, Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus bought us with a price. Our identity is 100% found in him. It's completely found in Jesus. If we know who we are, and more importantly, whose we are, we have our foundation in place. Uh, it's, not, it's not just okay to know who we are. It's one thing. I know who Danae is. But if I didn't know who she belonged to, there would be a large chunk of who she is that's missing for me. I wouldn't know. I was like, well, you know, I don't know your parents, uh, so I don't really know where you come from. I don't know um, your background. And it's the same with us as Christians. People can look at us, and if we know who we are, and if we know who we belong to, people will see that. They'll see that. They'll, as they get to know us, they'll be like, oh, wow, I can totally see you are a child of God. Another very important thing is, who does God see when he looks at me? It's a question I think we all need to be asking ourselves because so many people see themselves as how other people say, oh, Jeremy, you're just a skinny guy. Or you just, I don't know. He's crying now. You see, look at that. Um, but if, but if, G, if, if Jesus is saying to Jeremy, this is who I see you to be, then surely that's our true identity. Surely that's who we actually are. Surely we aren't our, our shortcomings. Surely we aren't the sin in our lives. Or surely we aren't these other things. We are who God made us to be. That's just who it is. This is what it is. An interesting thing is that a lot of Christians get saved. And they say, Jesus is my savior. That's amazing. And that fact in itself splits eternity. It's incredible. But there's also another part to that. Jesus is Lord and savior of our lives. Um, we have to, we have to get this, this thing into our hearts that Jesus is our Lord. Because if we are Lord of our lives and not Jesus, if we don't choose to submit to Jesus' authority, then we are responsible for creating or finding everything we need to live fulfilling lives. Then it's up to us. And this is how the world is living. That's why we have these, these things that I showed you earlier, those motivational posters, because it's up to people. It's up to the individual. How fulfilling is your life? How how happy are you? Oh, you're not very happy. Okay, well, do something about it. Get happier. Work harder. You know, you can do it. Like, everyone puts that pressure on the individual. But that is insane because what power does an individual have over his own life without even knowing where he's going, without knowing who he is, without knowing his identity, without knowing where he comes from, without knowing God himself? What power do I have to make myself happy? That actually, it just falls flat. If it's up to me, there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. The vast majority of us are living for our own fulfillment. 
We do whatever we can to achieve happiness, security, and success. And that's, that's the goal in so many people's lives. It's the goal in a lot of our lives. It's a goal in my life sometimes if I'm not careful. Because I want to achieve something. I want to, I want to say, yes, I'm going to work hard at this thing. I'm going to be the, the best graphic designer or whatever the case is. I'm really going to spend lots of time focusing on music. So then one day I can, I can do something great with this thing, you know. Um, but what if that goal isn't my own happiness? What if my goal in life isn't my own happiness? What if you give that up and instead start to partake in the journey that our Heavenly Father has prepared for us? What if we give up those dreams and say, you know what, I actually believe that the dreams God has for me are already what's inside of me and also better than what I could ever come up for myself. John 7 verse 37. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So where do we get, where do we get the energy to live this life? Where do we get the energy to be happy, to have joy? Where do we get that energy? We get it from Jesus. He said it right there. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I, I have yet to experience a time in my life where I feel thirsty, where I feel like, man, something's missing in my life, and I go to God and I say, God, I'm feeling dry, like, you know, and, and uh, I don't know what's going on, whatever. I've yet to experience God turning me away and saying, no, I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to fill you up. We say things like, as soon as I find a new job, or I can't wait for summer vacation, we put these points of happiness in our future. We're always doing this. I mean, we all do it. It's just how we live. We say, man, I can't wait for this thing to happen. I can't wait for... Uh, this new apartment that we're going to rent. I can't wait for my, my debt to finally be, be cleared. I can't wait for my, my job to end so I can start this new exciting job. We put these points of happiness into our future, hoping that we'll find some kind of fulfillment that we don't have right now. But we have it backwards. It's, Danae and I often speak about things and we speak about life and stuff. And so, so many times we realize that we've actually got things backwards. We're trying so hard to work for fulfillment. We're trying so hard to work for joy. We're trying so hard to work for happiness, to put things in our life that are going to make us happier, to meet people and have friends who are going to make us happier, to work a job that we love so much because it's going to make us happy. It's going to make us feel fulfilled. We got it backwards. Happiness, joy, fulfillment, all those things are found in Jesus. And he is our start. When we go to Jesus for those things, we get it in a perfect, pure form. And it's at the beginning. And then what do we do from there? We actually just go through our life and overflow that stuff. And people around us, they are the ones benefiting as well. It's not just about us. It's not just about our happiness. We go to Jesus. We find everything that we need in him. He is our source. He is our happiness. He is our joy. And for so many of us, we, we have these points in our future. We, we really just can't wait for this thing, you know. And I just want to encourage us tonight, don't think that way. Go to Jesus first. Say, you know what? I want to be happy right now. I want to feel fulfilled right now. I want to have, I want to have um, a relationship that is meaningful with you, Jesus, right now. I don't want to have to work this whole long journey before I can find happiness. That's a load of nonsense. The thing we spend our lives striving for are available to us 24 hours a day. The problem is we don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. If we believe that, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he is the Alpha and Omega, he is our source of everything, 
He is the lover of our soul. When we believe that, and the more we believe that, the less we will turn to other things. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I mean, that's cool. Everything we need for a godly life has been given to us. It's there. And yet we still somehow strive. That's it's pretty crazy. But in order to live with Jesus as our source, what do we need? We need humility. Because Jesus isn't going to force these things on us. He's not going to say, you're a Christian now, you better just take all these things. There, there is something that we can do, and that's be humble. It comes in two parts. Humility with God, humility before God, and humility with others. Humility with God. Everything we have, regardless of how hard we work for it, is a gift from God. Everything. doesn't matter if it's your spouse, doesn't matter if it's your family members, doesn't matter if it's your job, doesn't matter if it's that thing you saved up for for years and eventually got. That has been given to you by God as a gift. The very air we breathe, the very life we live has been given to us by God. Um, they're gifts, and they should be treated that way. And I think if, you, if we treat things in our lives as a gift rather than treating them as if we've earned them, then we, we actually hold those things open-handedly. We say, you know what? I trust that this is a gift from you, God. I know this is a gift from you. And if, you, if you've given this thing to me so freely, then I, I want to actually honor you with this gift. Whereas if we believe we've worked for it, if we believe, no, I did this thing. Oh, I'm the winner. <laughs> I'm the guy. This is my thing. We're going to hold that thing close to us. We're not going to let people see that thing. We're, we're gonna, it's going to be ours to, to own. Um, an interesting thing about gifts, though, is that God doesn't give us gifts just for our enjoyment. He does give us gifts for our enjoyment. I love playing guitar. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I love my wife. She's a gift. He gives us gifts for our enjoyment, but he gives us gifts for a reason. If we live with this understanding, we will see beyond ourselves in our small little bubbles. If I only ever played guitar by myself, to myself, for myself, there wouldn't be an electric guitarist other than Ryan. There he is. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't be able to serve, um, and I wouldn't be able to use my gift for the body. An eyeball, think about this. An eyeball has the gift of sight. God has created an eyeball to see. But what good is the ability to see to that eyeball? What does an eyeball benefit from being able to see? That doesn't benefit. It has no benefit from being able to see because if you take it out of the body and put it on the table, it's just going to shrivel up and die. That's it. It doesn't matter how good it sees. It's not going to have any purpose. Same thing with an ear. Think about it. An ear has been designed to hear. But both the eye and the ear have been designed and been given the gifts that they've been given for a greater purpose. It's for the body. An eyeball is put into a head, and connected to everything so that this body can see where it's going. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be able to see. But it's not for, it's not for itself that it can see. It's for the, for, the, for the body. Humility with others. Um, I've said yeah, humility is the enemy of selfishness. It's, it's really, really, really tricky to be humble and selfish at the same time. If you've ever tried it, one of them's going to give. Either your humility is going to win, and your selfishness is going to lose, or, or the other way around. There's been many times in there, and I've got into a little argument, and I've totally just 
being selfish and said, no, I will not agree with you on that, get into a fight, whatever. Later on that night, I'm like, uh, you know what, actually, I probably should have just, in humility, and, and, and just said to you what I was feeling from the start. But I'm too selfish sometimes. Selfishness tells us that it's all about us. We believe we are more important than others. We believe our opinions and ideas are superior. We believe that our way of doing things is better. We experience this every single day of our lives. We get, we get given a situation, we get given something in our lives, and we say, I'm going to choose my, my way of doing this. You're driving on the road, some guy's driving up behind you, he's getting a bit close. In that moment, you're like, no, forget this guy. I don't care, I'm even going to slow down. Whoa, there we go. Oh, you can drive as close as you want, idiot. We've all been there, you know what I mean? This is just how we live. We are selfish. We want what's best for us. We don't want what's best for other people. As part of being human beings. But humility is abandoning your opinions and replacing them with God's. So when you have an opinion, regardless of if you think it's selfish or not, replace it with God's, and you're pretty much guaranteed to have um, a humble opinion of, of yourself, of your circumstances. In Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul says to the church, uh, is it up there? Yeah. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is what my mom did in that fire story. If she had been selfish, if she had said, no, you know what? They probably got insurance. They should have insurance. If they don't, sorry for them. Yeah, this is South Africa. You need to have insurance, you know. She could have thought that way. She could have thought selfishly in that moment. She could have thought, you know what? It's, it's a bit of a mission. Hopefully someone else does something. And in actual fact, every other person in that complex, in, in the complex they lived in, did absolutely nothing. Other than the person that let them stay in that house, no one, no one helped. My mom went from door to door, door to door. She had to actually convince people. Eventually people were like, yeah, we'll help you out, we'll help you out. But no one else actually went and visited them. My mom and dad went and visited them in hospital. They had meals with them. They invited them around for dinner a few weeks later to catch up on things. How are you guys doing? They formed a friendship with these people. And that's for me, is a sign of humility. Throwing selfishness out the door and allowing humility to take its place. All right. Jesus is a perfect example of humility. In Matthew 20, verse 26, there it is. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the standard. That's the standard for humility. Jesus just said it. There it is. And he told his disciples, this is how you're supposed to live. If you want to be great... You have to be a servant. He washes his disciples' feet. The creator of the world, made in flesh, humbles himself to the point where he actually washes feet. Isn't that insane? And he says to them, you have to do the same. This is what he's saying here as well. This is, this is the standard that he set for us. If you want, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Who wants to be first? <laughs> you can be my slave. Third part of living a life that is focused not on ourselves is purpose. This is a big one. We've, we've had identity, we've had humility, now we have purpose. 
a question that all of us have asked ourselves at one point or another is why did God make me? Why did he make me specifically? Like, I can understand why he made, you know, these rulers of nations. I can understand why he made these really gifted people. But why me? Like, why did he make me? Many of us strive to find this answer. We spend years of our lives wishing God would tell us. We're like, come on, God. I'm like, in my 20s, like, I'm not really doing anything of major significance. Like, what's going on yet? You know? Some people, hey, you know what? I'm still single. You know, when am I going to get married? Like, God, am I supposed to just be single for the rest of my life? What am I supposed to do? Am I in the wrong place? We ask ourselves these questions, and all of us do it, or have done it at some point. Um, Matthew 22, verse 36. Now, a Pharisee, who was a lawyer, decided to ask Jesus a question. He wanted to trick him up. He says, Teacher, of all the laws, which commandments is the greatest? Jesus says, Love the eternal one, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is nearly as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of the law and all the teachings of the prophets are but variations of these themes. You want to know what your big calling is? You want to know what you're supposed to be doing? Life is about love. That's it. Jesus just said it, it, said it uh, right over there. Love the Lord your God firstly and love others. That's it. That's your purpose in life. Whether you're a teacher, whether you are a scientist, whether you're a pilot, whether you sweep streets, your purpose in life is to love God and to love other people. And we can get these two things right. Honestly, this is where we start, loving God and loving people. And from there, our lives just overflow. It overflows from there. We, we go about our lives, we walk, we, we move forward, we go to work, and the people that we interact with are who Jesus is interested in. He's not interested in our jobs. He's not interested in, in how much money we make. Yes, it's interesting because he loves us, but that's not primarily what he's interested in. He's interested in hearts of people. Our identity is not found in what we do. What we do with our time, what we do with our jobs, is just a vehicle that carries out our true purpose to the world. So, so many people will say, hey, my name's Bruce, how's it going? And then someone will say, oh yeah, I'm Michael, how are you? Oh, cool. What do you do? Everyone's got this question, you know? And everyone wants to know what it is that you do. And I want to know what other people do. What it is that you do? And um, it's interesting because... Why do we do this? Why do we ask people what do they do? Because we believe our identity is so caught up in, in what it is that we do. We believe that if we have an amazing job or if we have some kind of skill, that we are in some way important. We have value. Um, but what if someone is a garbage man and you say to him, hey, what's your name? And he told you his name and you say, what do you do? And he's like, I collect garbage. Then what? And then what are you left with? Oh, that's, wow, it must be hot. And what, are you, what are you left with in that moment? Is this man not living a fulfilled life? Does he have value? Does God not look at him and see his child? Does God not see this man as an individual packed with potential? He does. And yet we reduce people to these things. We always say, oh, okay, cool. Have you met this person? He's a scientist. We forget that we met the garbage man just the other day. We're not introducing that guy to anyone. We're introducing, introducing people to the, gar, uh, to the scientist. Penny, do you mind coming up and tinkling? 
on the keys there. Our desire for purpose often comes out in insecurity. We want to feel good about ourselves. That's true, we do. We want to be seen as someone who has something to add, something to contribute. We want to be noticed. It's true. But our purpose is loving God and loving people. If it, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't even matter how selfish you've been. Because <laughs> we've all been selfish. It doesn't matter. God still wants to use you. And He wants to use you starting now. He doesn't want to wait for you to get to a place in your life where you feel, okay, now I'm ready. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So if you feel like God has something for you, which He does, because I told you earlier, love Him, love people, He's going to give you the tools that you need to do that thing. You need to be stepping out in faith. We need to be, we need to be looking to God and saying, I am your child. My identity is found in you. We need to be humbling ourselves before Him. We need to say, God, you are God, not me. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And then we need to live that out with purpose. We need to go into whatever it is that we're doing. It can be anything. Whatever it is we're doing, we need to be taking that thing. We need to be taking the truth that we have inside of us. When Jesus is our source and we have everything we need found in Him, we will then just start overflowing. Every day you can go back to Jesus and say, fill me up because I want to fill others. Fill me up because I want to be you to other people, Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That scripture I read in the beginning. Jesus is my identity. He is my source. He is my example in humility. And he is my purpose. He is the place that I live from. And he is the person that I live for. He sustains me. He leads me. And he fills me up. There's nothing outside of Him that I want. Everything I need is found in Him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my brother, and He is my friend. He is the reason I have breath in my lungs. And if I can see more of Him by seeing less of me, then I want nothing more than to be called a loser for Jesus. Can we stand up, please?